Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. So I went to this daddy-daughter dance thing last night, first one ever, okay? Uh, yeah, I took, I took my daughter, um, and I, like, we went to a pretty sweet Italian restaurant on the, on the east side of town. Like, we did it right, dressed up. Um, so, so we're driving, right? She's known this is going to be coming. We're driving. My six-year-old daughter's like, wait. That's what she said. She said, wait, are you dancing? And I'm like, uh, of course. Yes. And she says, oh, gosh. This is going to be embarrassing. And I'm like, oh, she doesn't understand. We get to the dance. Her shoes come off. She disappears. I don't see her again. I'm standing against the wall, alone. I think I'm a sophomore in high school again. <laughs> I'm at a dance. She gone. I didn't even see her for the rest of the dance. So I, I am, I, it is under that uh, circumstance I'm trying to bring the word to you this morning. So you need to pray for me. My heart is a little, it's healing this morning. Okay? Um, I got moves. She didn't want to see them. Okay, we got to pray before we do this. All right, God, we love you, and, and we're going to go to your word this morning to hear from you. And it's my prayer that you will open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word this morning. Amen. So we're, here we are. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3. Let me set the, set the uh, scene before I have Terry come out and read our, our passage this morning. So, um... You have Peter, right? He's walking uh, with this boy John, and there's a lame beggar. And the beggar asked him, want some money? And of course, Peter's like, hey, I don't have what you think you're looking for, and, but I do have what I know you need. And in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And Peter heals this lame beggar who has been crippled from birth. What's interesting about this story is we see this uh, echo the time when Jesus also healed a lame man, right? There was this audience, if you, if you go back with me to Luke chapter 5, there was this audience of religious people, right? And then Jesus does this healing and it's this physical picture of, of really a spiritual reality and he, he goes to this lame man, Jesus does, and he actually says, your sins are forgiven. And that's how he healed this lame man and this lame person this guy he, he, he was lame from birth also his legs would have been um, atrophied he, he would have been carried everywhere he went his legs were lifeless and this was actually a picture of the lives of the religious people who would have seen Jesus do this they had been crippled from birth also they just didn't realize it they were spiritually dead just like the crippled man's legs and then along comes the author of life, the one who is able to bring life to their spiritual lifelessness. And Jesus gives them sign after sign after sign. And he gives them picture after picture after picture of his love. Gives them signs and a picture of the life that he, uh, he authored and that he offers. 
and they killed him for it. They killed the author of life. And along comes Peter here in Acts chapter 3, right? And you, you got these religious people and they think, okay, here's this miracle from Peter. There's no question they would have been remembering the similarities from when Jesus did his work. But the thing is, these religious people thought, man, we thought we were done with this. Like we got rid of the fraud. We got rid of the guy who was a blasphemer. We got rid of the guy who was stepping in on our territory. And then right before their eyes, another lame man with dead, lifeless legs is healed. Peter is showing the crowds, the author of life, who they killed. See, he didn't stay dead. He lives. And it's not that he just lives. He continues to offer life to the ones who killed him. So you have this man who is crippled from birth, and he's healed. And what does Peter do? He preaches the gospel. And this takes us to Acts chapter 3, verse 11. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by your own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy One, the Righteous One, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by his faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see now, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man that is this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins, sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel to those who come after him also proclaimed these days. You were the sons of the prophets in the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you away from your wickedness. That's the word of God. Thank you, Terry. So we see here this physical example of what happens spiritually. Now let me just, before we move further, you need, you need to understand that, that here at our church, we, we believe uh, that physical healing can take place. We will pray for physical healing. We, uh, we have done what the Bible calls us to do with anointing, the elders gathering around somebody, anointing them with oil and praying over them for healing. We believe that can happen, but we do not believe that it is guaranteed or owed to us. Physical healing can happen, 
uh, but it's not guaranteed. But we do believe this, when your faith is put in Jesus Christ, spiritual healing is guaranteed. While physical healing is not necessarily guaranteed on this side of the sun, this side of heaven, we know it's guaranteed for eternity, but spiritual healing is definitely uh, through Jesus uh, something that can happen. So we see this picture here, and Peter speaks. So we have this, uh, this thing that, that is witness, this, th- uh, this experience, and then Peter speaks to the experience. But let's look at what he says first. He says, hey, why, why are you guys staring at us like we did this? Why, why are you looking at us like we did this on our own power? We didn't cause this man to walk, but God caused this man to walk. And I think there's a pretty stark contrast between how Peter did it and then maybe how we might see some of the guys we might see on television in 2020 do this. Meaning, they didn't do it on a stage in front of big crowds making huge promises. It was just out front. And they healed him. And it wasn't about Peter, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't about John. It was about God. It was God who did it. They didn't put on a show. They just did what God had them do in that moment. And Peter then preaches a sermon. And here's what he, he communicates some things to us. And here's what he communicates to us about God. He communicates to us about Jesus. He communicates to us about us. Now, he preaches the gospel, but more, more specifically, he, he, he talks about the patient love of God, and he talks about life that is authored through Jesus, the author of life, and then he speaks to our crippled state and our deep need for the patient love of God and the life offered through Jesus. That is the sermon. It's the gospel, but we must understand the gospel starts with God. That's where Peter started. It's where Paul Started Romans chapter 1, verse 1. He said, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. If you come to Hill City very often, and Scott alluded to this, we rehearse the gospel. We do a gospel rhythm every single Sunday. And we sing our songs, always start with God. Because the gospel begins with God. That's part of our gospel rhythm. What's he say about God? A lot. We can't, we can't go into everything he says about God, but I do want to point out some things that Peter says about God. Look at uh, verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. He glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. So this doesn't make as much, you know, this doesn't hit exactly at home for us. But we must understand what Peter was saying here. He was communicating that God is active and he's living and he's present. Like this God that I'm talking to you about was the same God that talked to our fathers. And he mentions them. Like these were big time people in the lineage of the religious people that would have been hearing this. This God, he spoke to Moses, he spoke to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Like this is the same God and he's personal and he's active and he's living and we, know, we need to know in 2020, right here in Springfield, that still remains true, that God is active and he's living and he's personal. He's not distant. What else did he say in verse 13 about, about God? It said he glorified Jesus. God wants his son glorified. 
Jesus Christ must matter to us because Jesus Christ matters to God. You can see how Jesus, when he's talking to the Father just before he goes to the cross in John chapter 17, he said, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. He goes down into verse 4 and 5. I glorified you on earth. This is Jesus talking to the Father. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. See, God is active and he's living and he's personal and he is about glorifying his son. And one of the ways, the main way that this happened, we see in verse 15, is that he raised his son from the dead. That's what verse 15 tells us. Because Peter's, Peter's priest like, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. Hill City Church, when we're talking about God, when we're talking about Jesus, we must get to the resurrection. Like we can talk about the life of Jesus, the love of Jesus. We can talk about the cross and all that's good. But if we leave out the resurrection, we're leaving out the most important part. We have life because Jesus was killed, but he didn't stay dead. You watch, you just read in the Bible, all these early apostles, they, they got to the resurrection pretty quickly. And we would do ourselves a favor to do the same. He's saying, God raised Jesus from the dead. And, he, and he's telling them that, like, this happened so that you would know that, hey, this was the Son of God. And because it was the Son of God, like, now, now you got to do what he says. We'll talk about that in a minute. Peter goes on to say, it's not that he just was raised from the dead. Peter's like, we saw him. We were witnesses. Like, he was dead, then we saw him not dead. We witnessed this. In other words, Jesus was exactly who he said he was, and we saw it. Because God raised him from the dead. So God is active, and he's personal. God glorifies Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. And verse 22 and 24 tells us that this God who did all that will hold us accountable. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him and whatever he tells you to do. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen shall be destroyed from the people. That's accountability. God will hold you accountable. Specifically, God will hold you accountable to what you believe about his son. He will hold you accountable for what you do with his son. Which takes us then to the part of Peter's sermon where he talks about Jesus, because he doesn't just talk about God, he talks also about Jesus. Look at verse 13. Let's look at what he says about Jesus. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. So we see out of the gate, 
that Jesus was a servant. Now, he was a servant in, in twofold. Like, he was a servant first and foremost of God. I read to you in John where he's talking to the Father, and he tells the Father, hey, God the Father, I came here and I did everything that you asked me to do. I did what you wanted me to do. I served you. He served God, but he didn't just serve God. Jesus isn't just a servant to God. Jesus served you and me. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. See, Jesus served me and he served you by giving his life. And here's the reality, Hill City Church, we should mimic our king. So in that light, what does service look like for you? What does service look like in your family? Is it sacrificial? Are you willing to put some things aside that you like that serve you? Are you willing to sacrifice those so that you can serve your family? What about your church? Do you serve your church? Are you willing to do some things that might inconvenience you to put some of your personal preferences aside so that you can serve your church? What about your campus college students? Are you willing to serve? What about your summer are you willing to sacrifice some time in your summer to go serve? Because that's how we mimic our king. And just so you know, we don't call this a service. We do that very intentionally. We don't come to a church service. This is a gathering of God's people. And if you're here to be served, you're here for the wrong reasons. And if, and if the extent of your life in Christ is that you come here and sit on a Sunday in a service, you need to evaluate your life in Christ. I'm not telling you that to shame you. I'm just telling you we must mimic our king. And Jesus was a servant. What else does it say? Check this out. This is huge. So Peter tells him, yeah, you, you killed the author of life and God raises the dead. We witness this. And then look at verse 16. And he's talking about the man that he healed. And his name, talking about Jesus, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. We're going to hang out here for a minute because th this is kind of a big deal. If you get nothing, I want you to get what we're getting ready to talk about here. Jesus Christ is the center of our faith. Jesus Christ is the object of of our faith. Because here's what you hear this phrase a lot. Well, they are people of faith. Those people are people of faith. And that can mean a lot of different things in our society. And if we take a look at kind of many of the other religions or faiths, there's a common theme. And that theme seems to be that in other faiths, you save yourself. Let me give you some examples. Islam. How are you saved in Islam? And just my deep, uh, my, my, my just super informal training has me to do this. I Googled, how are you saved in Islam? And I know I'm oversimplifying this a little bit, but, but, but quite simply, it's like good deeds. That's how you are saved in Islam. 
And it's just there that salvation comes really through you and doing good deeds. And Islam is there to remind you when you're not doing those things. Judaism. Take Orthodox Judaism specifically. You work hard to obey God's laws. Hopefully you do well at that. Because that's going to get you success. That's sort of the way you are saved. Let's go to Hinduism. There are actually three ways I read about in Hinduism. Three ways that you attain salvation is by the way of works, by the way of knowledge, by the way of devotion. What about Buddhism? You can read about, I read about Nirvana, which I thought was just a cool rock band in the 90s. I was in high school. Apparently there's something more to that. But, it, but, but, but in Buddhism, it's like you can get to this state of Nirvana by following an eightfold path. I don't know all eight. Here's a few I put down. And, and some of the eight are you better have the right speech. You better have the right occupation. You better have the right effort. You better have the right action. But what's... What, what the common theme is that you save yourself. Now, just so you know that I'm not here picking on other religions, let's throw Christianity in the mix. Because some of you think you save yourselves by church attendance at a Christian church. Some of you think you can save yourselves within Christianity by your good behavior. Because that's what religion does. Religion puts you at the center of your faith. You do blank and you can save yourself. Along comes the good news of Jesus Christ where he says, no, I am the center of your faith. I will do what needs to be done. You are not your savior. I am. Well, this is going to be hard for you. Some of you. What I'm getting ready to say is going to be hard for you to hear. I warned you about this on the front end of Acts. This is just kind of how it's going to go sometimes. Some of you think it's okay to have faith in the wrong things, as long as it's sincere and you have faith. And the reality is you know people. You may be them people, but you know people. You love people. And they hold to maybe some other religions. Or maybe they hold to things that make them seem spiritual. I don't even know what that means, but spiritual. And whatever that belief system is, they're committed to it. They're committed to what they believe. They're actually pretty moral. They're pretty awesome people. And they're really nice. And for sure they smile more than one of your pastors because he doesn't smile very much. And I'm working on that. And they give away a bunch of presents at Christmas on television. And they're sincere. And all that's true. They're nicer. They smile more. They're moral. They're nice, awesome people. That is all true. And their faith is sincere. But the reality is this, that their faith will do nothing for them in the end. Because their faith is not in Jesus Christ. That is so offensive. I know. Brad, that seems so narrow. Yes, it seems narrow. I know. But it is true. 
Let me give you an example of this. Let me give you a faith that doesn't really help. So I went ice fishing two weeks ago. Ice fishing. I don't know if any of you have been ice fishing. It's weird. It's fun, but it's weird. Here's what's weird about it. There's a lake, right? We know lakes. We live in Springfield, Missouri. We're in the Ozark. We know lakes. We just don't know lakes that freeze to where the ice on top of them are like two feet thick, right? We don't understand that. I don't really understand it. I just know I got to this lake in Minnesota. And it's not like I had to walk out on it to fish. I had to drive a car on the lake, all right, to a house that was on the lake. And it's creepy, and you hear the ice cracking. It's weird. But in the moment that I went to the lake, here's what I had to put my faith in. I put faith in the locals who had been doing this for hundreds of years that said the lake's good. And then I put some faith in the actual ice that it would hold the vehicle that I was driving on a lake. Yes, I was driving a vehicle on a lake. And it worked out. But hear me. Let's say I would have gotten to Minnesota and they would have an unseasonably warm winter. And there would have still been some ice, but the locals would have been like, hey, uh, the ice is actually two inches and it needs to be two feet. So, and I looked at them in all sincerity, wholeheartedly, and I said, yeah, but I've got faith. I've got faith in that two-inch ice and I'm going for it. Now we hear that story, we're like, that's foolish, you would never do such a thing. That's true, I didn't even, barely wanted to drive on the two foot thick ice. But it would be foolish to put my faith in that. Because no matter how sincere, if I tick my car on a lake with two inches of ice, I'm going to the bottom. Period. But, but my faith was so sincere. I truly believed that that ice would hold me. Hill City Church, unapologetically and with as much love as I can tell you, it is faith in Jesus Christ alone that matters. Have you trusted in Jesus and his name Alone Is your faith in Jesus? Because this takes us to our next point about Jesus. Peter calls Jesus in verse 15. I'm sorry, 14. He is the holy and righteous one. Look at verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Now we must notice he did not say You denied a holy and righteous one. You denied the holy and righteous one. And here's here's another sort of offensive truth for all of us in this room. Romans chapter 3 would tell us there is no one righteous. Not even one. Jesus was the only Righteous one. In verse 15, it goes on to say that he is the author of life. 
We don't have time to just totally dive into this, but of course we know what Jesus told us in John chapter 10 where he said, there's a thief and he comes to kill you and steal from you and he comes to destroy you, but that's not what I come for. I come so that you might have life and life abundantly. Jesus is the author of life. And let's not even get into how active he was in, the, in creation, in Genesis, literally the author of life we're talking about here, the Son of God. He's the holy and righteous one. He is the author of life. So we've seen God and what God has told us. We see Jesus, and then and only then can we really get an accurate view of ourselves. Now, we look at this sermon, and I want us to understand something. Specifically, let me talk to those of you who are following Jesus. Everything I'm going to tell you is the pre-Jesus you. It's the pre-Jesus me. But it is without question the truth. what Peter tells us. It's like we're crippled. See, this started with this crippled man. On this physical picture of a spiritual reality, we are crippled. Well, how are we crippled? First, we are wicked. That's what it tells us. Look at this. Okay, verse 14 and 15, then we'll go to verse 26. Look at verse 14 and 15. We read a few times already. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. So you had a perfectly sinless person. You're like, we don't want him. We'll take the murderer. That's wicked. That's wicked. Kill this guy. Give us the murderer. That's wicked. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead, and we were witness. So not only give us the murder, we're going to kill you. That's wicked. And then it goes on to verse 26. God, having raised up this servant who you killed, did a wicked thing to. He sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. There is a wickedness. And it was your reality pre-Jesus, if you're following Jesus. If you're not following Jesus, that is your reality, that you are wicked. And I know that's offensive, but stay with me. One of our elders at this church is a doctor, Dr. Moore. Right? And here's part of his job. A big part of his job is he has to look at people in his office, and he has to tell them the truth about their health. Okay? That's what good doctors do. It's not easy. It's one of the hard parts about their job. And here's the reality. Whether or not their patient likes what Dr. Moore tells them has no effect on the truth of their health. It doesn't matter if they like it. He must tell them. Now, there's a way he tells them. Of course. But there's a truth of their condition. wickedness. And through Peter telling his audience here in Acts, God is candidly telling you and me that our issue is this. We, without Jesus, are wicked. How are we wicked? The same way they were. We rejected Jesus. We rebelled against Jesus. We hated Jesus. We killed Jesus. That is so offensive, Brad. Who are you to say that about me? Who are you to say that about a person who is so devoted to the Buddhist faith, 
Who are you? It's so offensive. Wicked. Wicked. See, guys, here's the thing. So many people at Missouri State campus, so many people throughout Springfield, they do not understand their need for the light of the gospel because they've never understood their wickedness. They refuse to see their own wickedness. And here's the thing. In this room, I have no doubt about it. In this room, most of us have experienced the reality of our wickedness. That's why we're following Jesus. We've seen our wickedness. And I want you to know something this morning. I want you to be reminded of something. Or if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear this. It is a gift. It is a gift from a loving and gracious God to show us our wickedness. It's a gift. We must see that. Because here's who I worry about the most in this room. And, and listen, he or she is here. And it's this person. It's the I'm a good guy guy. I'm a good guy. I support my family. Like I treat my wife better than this guy treats his wife. I mean, I spend some time with my kids. Like I haven't abandoned my kids. I'm a good guy. Man, I'm a, I'm a good lady. Like I, I'm respectable. And guys, all over your campuses, all over our city are people who refuse to take an honest look and acknowledge, oh, there's wickedness there. See, we are wicked. That's what Peter says. He goes on to say something else. This doesn't get better, by the way. (laughs) We're ignorant. Would it have been funny if I'd have been, like, ignorant? Okay, no, that tells me all I need to know. I'm glad I didn't do that. Look what Peter says. And now, brothers, verse 17, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. Now, we have to know something about ignorance here, is that being ignorant of something doesn't rid you of your guilt. It doesn't absolve the guilt. And I'll give you a, a good example of this, right? So uh, w- when I got out of, of my parents' house, right, and I did some work in high school, and I'll tell you about that in a little bit, but you know, you get a job, right, when you go to college. Hopefully you guys get a job. Well, my parents didn't really sit me down and tell me a ton of things about taxes, you know what I mean? They actually told me nothing about taxes. Um, come to find out, the government doesn't care how much your parents did or didn't teach you about taxes, to decide whether or not they're going to have you pay those taxes. Like, I, I didn't get to go to the government and be like, hey, I didn't even know I had to do this. And then the government be like, oh, okay, well, thanks for telling us. Don't worry about it. It's not how it works. Peter's preaching, and he's like, hey, listen, you guys were ignorant in this. In your ignorance, like you never really understood. You didn't see Jesus for who he truly was. You never knew him and you killed him. In your ignorance. But he was also communicating, hey, by you thinking you got rid of him, I'm still here. I'm here and and through him and his power I healed this guy. 
That, that, that is proof that, yeah, you killed him in your ignorance, but he still sees you. He still knows you. He still loves you. And he still offers you life. And it takes us to verse 19. Because the call is, yes, you were ignorant in this. I get it. But repentance is still necessary. Repentance. Right? We use this word a lot around here. I don't want to just assume everybody knows what it means, so I'm just going to make this as simple as I, as I can make it. When we talk about repentance, we are talking about a change of your mind and a change of your direction. Repentance literally means I was going here because I believed this about this, and now I know the truth, so I'm not going to go there. I'm going to turn. I'm going to go here in this direction because I've changed my mind and my direction. Repentance. And I want you to know something. Repentance. Because I think a lot of us, especially in the Bible, but we hear this word and we get this image in our head about some dude hitting a pulpit and spitting and screaming, going, repent! And it's kind of like this ugly, jerky word for some of us. Hill City Church, here's what I want us to do, starting today and forever. Repentance is a beautiful and hopeful word. Think about this. The inability to change direction, the inability to change your thinking is a very hopeless place to be. Right? I'm, gonna, I'm going towards something that's detrimental. And not, be, not being able to change that direction, man, that's a horrible feeling. See, repentance is a beautiful word. Repentance is a loving, gracious gift from a loving and gracious God. Because the reality is I was crippled. And then I found out there was a way that I could no longer be crippled. It's the best news that I ever heard in my life. And it's still true today. Some of you in here and you're crippled. And you don't have to be crippled. So we saw... God here. We, we, we saw Jesus, and it's, it's, it's only then can we see ourselves, and we need to know something. That it is actually God who makes us aware of our being crippled, and then he calls us to repentance. Here's what you need to know. It's very unloving. I think it's a very unloving thing to do, to make someone aware of a shortcoming and not offer a resolution. Like, I don't want to be in a room with that guy. Just always pointing out what's wrong. Always pointing out what's wrong. But never offering solutions. And here's the reality for some of you. This is what you believe about God because this, this is the home you grew up in. This is what your dad and mom did. Right? They, they told you what was wrong with you your whole life and they never really told you uh, how to fix it. Right? They, they, they told you how dumb you were when you made bad grades. They told you how, how unathletic you were when you didn't perform like the way you should have performed. Right? They told you how, how ignorant, how, how, how foolish you were and how stupid you were because of the boy you decided to go on a date with. And that's all, that, that's, that, that was the flavor of your home, so now you think that's how God is, and that's not how God is. That's actually an unloving thing to do. See, God makes us aware 
of our reality, but he doesn't just make us aware of that. He doesn't make us aware of our sin and then just storm out. So he makes us aware of our sin and then he comes to us. He says, hey, here's the reality. Like you're wicked and you're crippled and you're ignorant and I'm your remedy for every bit of that. Just come here. Come here, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to make this right. That's what our God does. See, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. God's not a jerk. Some of you need to hear that today. God's not a jerk. He loves you. So all this is true. Like we, hear our, we hear about who we are and, and the reality of us pre-Jesus. Like We were crippled. We were wicked. We, we need to change. We need to repent. And verse 22 and 23 tells us, hey, we better listen. All this is true. you got to listen. That's what Peter tells them. See, the repentance that we read about in verse 19, it's going to be followed by listening. See, listening is to admit that I need instruction. Listening is to admit I need correction. And so many of the religious people who are hearing Peter right now, they didn't want to listen. They were done. They didn't want to be bothered with it. They really just wanted Peter to quit telling us what to do. Stop pointing out our sin. We thought we got rid of Jesus doing that junk. Now here you are doing this. We're not going to listen. He'll see, church, we must listen. After we repent, we must listen. How do we listen? How do we listen to God? Primarily. Okay, I hope you all have one of these. This is the most important thing you have on the planet. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is the most important thing you have on the planet. Yes, I want you to listen to podcasts. Yes, I want you to come to church and hear teaching and preaching, right? That's a, that is a way you listen to God. But this is where he talks to us. This is where he tells us what to do. And we got to go here and listen to what God tells us about loving our enemies. So we have to go here. To listen to what God tells us about forgiveness. We go here to learn what God tells us about marriage and who we should pursue in marriage. We go here for God to tell us how to raise our kids. We go here for God to tell us about sexuality. We go here to to listen to what God tells us about generosity. We go here to listen listen to what God tells us about everything. We don't pick and choose. Well, I don't like what God said about this, but I'll take seven out of eight of what I just read. That's not how it works. We must listen to God, and he talks to us primarily through his word. So let's go back to repentance real quick, and we're going to wrap up. Because you hear us talk about this, right? The gospel, and and there's a response to the gospel, and that response is faith and repentance. Faith in Jesus Christ alone, and then repentance. So here's what I want to talk to you about just before we're going to look at another couple verses here. If you're a Christ follower in this room, I want you to be reminded of what I'm getting ready to tell you. If you are not following Jesus and you're in the room, it's my prayer in this very moment 
But God will invade your heart and you'll hear or understand what I'm saying for the very first time in your life, okay? Look at verse 19 and 20. This is huge. He says, repent, therefore. Remember how beautiful that word is. It's a beautiful word. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You guys remember the story of David, right? Like he goes and he does this horrible thing where he sleeps with a chick and then has her husband murdered and, and it's just a mess, right? And he gets called out by Nathan. And Peter is sort of calling these people out the same way Nathan called David out. And then David writes this psalm of repentance, Psalm 51. Look what he says. He says, have mercy. Goes to God, have mercy, God. Wash me thoroughly. Wash me whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart. That's a repentant prayer. And that's what God, through Peter in this sermon Acts, tells us that he does. Up here I have a slide. This was this morning. I wrote every nasty thing I could possibly think of in the moment and I had some people even help me. And without getting too detailed, on this very whiteboard. And the picture on the slide is a, that was a picture of me. That's me. That's my, that whiteboard represented my life. What is it? What is it that you wrote? What is it that might have been written on the, on, the whiteboard of your life last night? And is it that you need to hear what Peter said when he says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. So we clean this board. You cannot see one trace. You can, and, and, and on most whiteboards are crappy and you can still see kind of what was written on it, but you can't on this. Like we clean this crazy good. You can't even see a hint of a marker or a word that was written on this this morning. It's blotted out. It's clean. This can be your reality this morning. So we teach this to our kids. We, we, we do ourselves a favor to make sure we're reminded of it every week. It's not just a kid message. Jesus came to save sinners. And based off what Peter said, when I repent and turn, all of my sins are gone. Man, that's refreshing. Isn't it? And some of you are like, man, I don't even know what you're talking about, refreshing, because all my sins aren't gone. I'm still, I'm still so deep in shame from, from the things I've done. I know, listen, I want you to experience times of refreshing. And notice it was, a, it was plural, not singular. You follow Jesus, it's times of refreshing. Okay, I don't know if we have any country kids in here, okay? So this may not make sense to hardly any of you, especially like you St. Louis, Kansas City peeps. You're not going to have a clue what I'm going to talk about. When I was in high school, I had to throw hay. Okay, some of you, some parts of the country, they say like buck hay, right? Okay, so, so it's 120 degrees outside. It's horrible. Hay is itchy, scratchy. It's terrible. It's awful. And, and that's just the stuff that's not even in the barn yet, right? So what happens is you pile this hay on a, on a trailer, and then you've got to go to the barn and get the hay from the trailer to the barn. And then what you have to do 
eventually you've got to climb up to the top of the barn. You have to stack the hay all the way to the top. Now, what you don't understand about the top of that barn, it's like 9 trillion degrees up there. And if you've never had to do this, you just need to look to God right now and know he's a, he's a giver of good gifts that you never had to do this. this is, it's a terrible thing. But I will tell you this. So I had to do that when I was in high school, right? And I just, when you come down out of the top of a hayloft, the 120 degree air actually feels really good. And then you get water, right? And you're trying to drink it, but you don't even care. You're just like, and you just dump it over you. And you hope some gets in your mouth, but if, even if it doesn't, it's the most refreshing feeling that you can imagine. So refreshing. In the seats in this theater right now, there are stories of refreshing. There are people in here right now who have been freed from deep shame, knowing that their sins have been blotted out. Oh, that's refreshing. There are people in these seats in this theater right now who've experienced forgiveness within their family that brought reconciliation with family members. Oh, that's so refreshing. There are people in these seats in this theater right now who have been addicted and have been freed from that addiction. And it is so refreshing. Some of you are some of you adults in your city groups, you're getting ready to go through this series on money, right? This I was broke and now I'm not, and here's what's going to happen. You're actually going to repent of the way that you've handled God's money, and you're going to work hard, and you're going to start handling it correctly. You know what's going to come? Refreshing. It's going to be refreshing. And make no mistake about it. Peter preaches this sermon and he alludes back to the guy that he healed. And here's what he says. He was in perfect health. He was healed. He was in perfect health. Like, that's not that he was better than a crippled man. Like, it wasn't like, okay, lame from birth, but now he can kind of like get around. Perfect health. Hill City Church, Jesus Christ is yours this morning. If you believe and you follow him, Christ is in you and your life is hidden in Christ. And what God did physically in Acts chapter 23, he's done spiritually in you. And if that's not your story today, it can be your story today. Let me point out one more thing and we'll be done. Check this out. So Peter preaches this sermon. Look at Acts chapter 4. I know we're going to do this next week, but this is pretty important. So he preaches this sermon. Look at verse 4. But many of those, 4-4 uh, four, four says this, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So Peter walks up, heals a guy. But 5,000 people received perfect health on this day because they believed can you say this morning that your faith is in Christ alone what was it that you came in here thinking that you needed this morning well I just need to get back in church my life's a little bit off track I just think I need to get back in church no 
you need healed. And it's faith in Jesus that can do that. Let's pray.